Good morning. Uh, just to let you know, briefly, after the morning service, we are going to have a membership vote. You say, we had one of those last week. Yes, we did. But we have one more young man who is heading off to college here in the next couple weeks. And before he does, wants to uh, become a member here of Grace Church. So we want to honor that desire. So if you are a member, shortly after the final hymn, we'll dismiss those non-members after the first verse. And then if you're a member, we'll be here just for a few moments to vote that young man in. Okay. Psalm chapter 84 is where we will be this morning. Recently, I, uh, as you're turning there, um, uh, recently I heard a pastor talking to pastors about preaching and lamenting the fact that pastors often are good at giving the details but not bringing them together. And this particular pastor used the illustration of, of a recipe in a cake. And I hope I'm not making you hungry when I use this, but talked about letting everyone know what the ingredients are and just kind of, hey, here's the ingredients. But anyone who's ever made anything or baked anything or cooked anything knows that it's more than just getting the ingredients out. You actually have to put them together in the right proportions to get the final product. I admit that this morning I'm going to be giving you, at least to start off with, the ingredients. And the ingredients come here from Psalm 84. But we're going to be using the entire Bible, as it were, to make this cake. So I'm warning you ahead of time from the standpoint of we're going to be looking in multiple passages of Scripture. And many of you have quite a bit of familiarity going from place to place in the Bible. And that's great. Some of you may not. So I don't want to discourage any of you by moving from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. Feel free, if you need a Bible and you want to, to have one, our ushers can provide you a Bible. I'd, I'd love for you to see it for yourself rather than just taking, it, taking my word for it. But if any of you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We can get you one. Um, if you have a device, you can literally just go into Google and, and type up the scripture reference and it should be able to come right there to you. Or use a Bible app or something like that. I'm just letting you know that we're going to be looking at multiple passages of scripture as we put Psalm 84 in the greater context of the Bible and of course our lives. Okay? So before we go any further, let's ask God's wisdom and his blessing on the word. Thank you, Lord, for this day and for your word. I pray that what I say would be just that, your word. I pray that it would be clear and accurate. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit might work in our lives, helping those of us who believe to change. And perhaps those who do not believe, that they would be born again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 84 is 12 verses, so I'm going to read them to you. In the top of my chapter, it says, Longing for temple worship. For the choir director on the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Verse 1, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a nest and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. 
How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. You see this word, how blessed. Maybe you might think of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man. We see this four different times. In verse 4, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. How happy, that's what that word means. We see it in verse 5, really applying to two different circumstances. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, but also in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And then we see it again in verse 12. How blessed is the man who trusts in you. We see this happiness of the individual who's longing after the temple, longing after worship. In verses 1 through 9, we see this longing for God's dwelling places. For God's dwelling place. I know it's plural there in verse 1. How lovely are your dwelling places. But if you have perhaps a different translation than the one I'm using, it might address it just as a place. And that's really a better understanding of it. A longing for God's dwelling place. Now, we see in verse 2, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. And when the psalmist says this, that he longs for the courts of the Lord, Certainly it's for a place, but it's also for God himself. Think back to Psalm chapter 42. In fact, we sang it this morning. As the deer pants for the water springs, so my soul longs after you. Same principle is is spoken in the, the very next psalm. Psalm 43, my soul longs and thirsts after you. And this longing is more than just sentimentality. Not to be irreverent, it's more than, I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. It's a a, a longing, a a desire. In fact, verse 4, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. The writer is one who's not there. Perhaps being away, he has a greater appreciation for being there. In a poetic way, he describes even birds that find their lodging in God's temple. Right? Verse 3. The bird has found its nest. The swallow nests for herself. Poetry often describes uh, things that are near their loved one as being favored. Right? If you can't be there, oh, to be something that would be close to you. If I could only be that thing. That's kind of what the psalm writer is doing here. It's a longing for God's dwelling place. And frankly, the longing went just beyond feelings. In verse 5, we see this longing that actually has action. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Your translation might use the word pilgrimage. And if you're an Old Testament reader at this time, 
you're thinking, yeah, we do that. We go to Jerusalem. We go to the holy city, the city of God. We make that pilgrimage there. The mind of the psalmist is consumed with going to where God is because God is his strength. But then also in the heart of this individual are the paths to Zion. You see, the Jewish reader, like I said, would make sometimes an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, to be in the presence of temple worship. You know, they didn't have the luxury of hopping in their car and driving 30 20, 15, 10, 5, however many minutes it took you to get here. No, they would take a pilgrimage. And they would take a long time and go through some pretty rough areas. We see that in verse 6. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. Dry desert areas. And this pilgrimage certainly would have taken some preparation. And yet, God provided incentive to them as they grew closer. We see that in verse 7. They go from strength to strength. It's like as they get closer, there's that much more motivation. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's, it's the, the parent who tells their child in the back seat, we're almost there, to somehow you know, pacify that. Ah, when are we there? Are we there yet? No, we're almost there. Here, that pilgrim, as they're making the journey to the holy city, is encouraged. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. And though the path would be difficult, the incentive only grows. There is danger to be sure. And so in verses 8 and 9, we see the psalm writer asking prayer both for himself personally in verse 8, but then also nationally for the anointed. So in verses 1 through 9, we see this longing to be where God is for God's dwelling place. And then in verses 10 through 12, we have this assurance until we arrive at God's dwelling place. This assurance. We are assured that to be with God is far greater than any other place. See that in verse 10. For a day in your courts is, a better, is better than a thousand outside. One day versus a thousand the sons of Korah, the psalm writers here, would have been assured, yes, that's true. That use of the word better. But then also, this second portion of verse 10, I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of sin. Where it says, I would rather, a literal translation of that is, I choose or I have chosen. This is a, a, an estimation of value. And what the psalm writer is valuing is not just place, but also who's there. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God. I'd rather be there. I would rather, frankly, take a life demotion standing at the threshold. That wasn't necessarily a place of power and influence. It was kind of being like the doorman. I'd rather be a doorman at the house of my God than be a resident in the, in the tents of sin. And then this assurance not only of being there is better than all else, but being assured that God would not disappoint. Verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. 
Keep in mind, the sun was really important for life. We know it's important for life right now, but the fact is, is that we have these things up above us, these light bulbs, electricity, and it really changes what we're able to do and when we're able to do it. Not so in the Old Testament context. Sun goes down, you have torches, but you don't have much light. The sun in pagan cultures was worshipped as one of the deities, one of the great gods. God is saying he is a sun in that in him is life. Life for functioning, but also life for agriculture, life for growth. Not only life, but protection. The Lord is a shield. And so the psalm writer would have us be assured that God will not disappoint. He provides and protects this pilgrim. And if that's not enough, he abundantly provides to those who long after him. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so we have this final appeal in verse 12. How happy is the person who trusts in God and thus long after him. Those are the ingredients. It's what the psalm says. Pretty straightforward. But I have to make an admission. When I read the psalm, praying about God, would I have this be what I preach? There's a part of me, and maybe this is true of you, and I'm venturing if it isn't true right this moment, it probably will be. There's an element of dissonance. You know what dissonance is? Okay, so if I were to go to the piano and I were to just take, you know, one finger and I play one note, boom, okay, it would sound fine. Wherever I play it, boom. But if I take another finger and I play the note right next to it and I play them at the same time, it would sound like it clashes. And it wouldn't be very pleasant. We'd want some form of resolution. When I read Psalm 84, when I sing as the deer, I see something in me that I want to be there, but often isn't. I read in verse 2, my soul, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. I see in verse 4, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. I read in verse 10, a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I read, I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And I agree with that. I look at verse 11, I see no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I agree with that. But then I look often at how I live. That I wake up in the morning. And I go about my day. I drive. I talk. I go shop. I think. I do my work. I go home. And I do it again and again and again and again. And I'm thankful for the time that we have to come and to worship. But I feel woefully short of this in the day to day. And so in my mind, in my heart, often, as I read Psalm 84, I feel like the two keys of the piano. Yes, this is true, but then there's this. Fortunately, well, not fortunately, unfortunately, 
I'm not alone. Turn to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. The context here are Jews who were once in exile, away from Israel, but now having returned back to Israel, now having their worship reestablished, and things should be good, right? Well, verse 6, this is God talking to Israel. He's saying, a son honors his father. Malachi 1, verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? And listen to this. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you would might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. And then verse 12, you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand? You had Jews who enjoyed the reality of Psalm 84, only to be taken away by force, by a pagan nation, then to be returned back to the original location, back to Jerusalem, back to Israel, have worship be reinstated, and then grow weary of it. And I see that, and I see some similarities to me. And to this bent, I long for Psalm 84 to be that reality, but I have those two keys playing side by side, reading like, this is inconsistent. Like, like the, the dissonance between the truth of Psalm 84 and then my hypocrisy, or the truth of Psalm 84 and my inconsistency. I know how I'm supposed to feel about God. I know how I'm supposed to feel about being in his house and being with his people. I should be thrilled, but often I'm not. We're left in the state, much like the father in, chapter Mar in, in the book of Mark. Remember that, that father right after the transfiguration where Jesus comes down from the mountain and there's this boy who's demon-possessed and, and the father approaches Jesus and says, would you please cast out this demon if you can? And Jesus says, if I can. And the father responds and says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's where I feel like I'm often at in Psalm 84. When I read Psalm 84, I should say. And maybe you do too. 
especially the day-to-day aspect of life. We're here, we enjoy one another's company, we worship, we long to be with each other, but then we go and then we live the rest of life. And maybe this experience seems so detached from the reality of everything else. I mean, I get why there's so many churches that try to conjure up so much of an experience when they have people come and worship. Jesus! We want this, like, high feeling because the rest of life seems so... When I open this book and I want to to, to eat it up and be eager and just... I mean, do you have to be like a super Christian to have that? When will I get there? Do any of these thoughts go through your brain? So I laid out the ingredients. You say, where's this cake? Right? You're supposed to have this cake. Here it is. At least, I think here's a step in the right direction. The resolution of this dissonance is understanding what the Bible says about where God lives. Okay? Let's go back to Psalm 84. Verse 1. How lovely are your dwelling places. Right? So this train of thought about the whole, how the Old Testament viewed Zion, how they viewed the city of God, where God lives. I do see for, you see a clear application for those, for, for us to long after worship, to long after being with one another, to, to, to offer to God sacrifice, maybe not, obviously not in the same way as the Old Testament saint, but, but to long after this. We see that. But I don't think the psalm stops there as far as as far as this chapter simply being about wanting to go to church more. I don't think that's where this stops. And is the point of the song of the psalm simply to make you feel bad if you don't feel the same way about going to church? I don't believe that the Old Testament audience would have viewed the psalm simply as a celebration of church services and that's it. When we're talking about God's dwelling place and where the psalm writer longed to be, I think this is an opportunity for us to look beyond just the Old Testament context and look at the whole of the Bible and what it has to say about us. And where I'm going with this is this. So there's a, a, I was reading several commentaries. One, uh, Derek Kidner used a term that for me was really, I think, like, ah. He used the term to describe the writer here, the audience, and, 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 and these people who would be, you know, worshiping like this. And he used the term homesick. Homesick. Have you ever been homesick before? You know what it means to be homesick? The psalm points to worshiping God where he dwells, but I would also say that it points to where we will ultimately dwell. In other words, it points home. Okay, follow me here. This is where we're going to be looking at multiple passages of Scripture, so hang on. Okay, let's look first of all at Hebrews chapter 11. 
And I'm going to be reading multiple passages of Scripture. There will be some comment here and there, but I do want us to just kind of trace this theme of home and see where we're going, okay? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now skip down to verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. And here's key. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The Old Testament saints recognized that the earth was not their home. That they were strangers and exiles here on this earth. Now let's look at John chapter 14. Here we have Jesus talking to his disciples the night before he was to be crucified. He's just told them that he is about to die. They are troubled. And in verse 1, we read this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is telling the disciples that he's leaving, but he's leaving and going to come back and take them to a place he'd prepared for them and a place that he would be with them. Which is a really important component of understanding what home is. And then, Revelation chapter 21. So you see these Old Testament saints, author of Hebrews points out, they were looking for a heavenly city, recognizing they were strangers and exiles here on earth. We have Christ telling his disciples, and consequently us as well, that he is left, but he's going to prepare a place to us where he will take us to be there. And then Revelation chapter 21, the end of the story, the end of the Bible. I would say the high point of the Bible. Revelation 21 Look at verse 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Chapter 22. Just maybe one page over, or across the page, depending on your Bible. Look at verse 3. In this place, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not, need, they will not have need of the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the culmination of human history. God dwelling among his people. This is what we're looking towards. The goal, the high point, and the reality of all eternity. This is the end of Psalm 23, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the end of Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel in chapters 40 to 48 describing... The new heaven, the new earth, the, 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 the kingdom. And at the end of chapter 48, there's a title of the city, the name of the city. You know what the name is? It's the last four words in Ezekiel. The Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. Our brothers and sisters in the early church understood well that home is what, to, what is to come and not experienced in the present. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And because this is a letter, 2 Corinthians... I'm going to start in chapter 4, but I'm going to go into chapter 5. Remember, it's a letter, so the flow of thought continues from one chapter to the next. So I'm going to go, I'm going to start in verse 16, but I'm actually going to go into chapter 5, and you'll see the flow of thought, okay? Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know, verse 1 of chapter 5, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, that's our body, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, this body, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So that what is mortal would be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God. Who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. Therefore being always of good courage. Knowing that while we are at home in the body we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith not by sight. 
We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in the early church understood that our bodies are not home. This earthly, temporal, what Paul calls a tent. But then also, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Why read all this? Because when I see Psalm 84, and I feel the dissonance, and I I know this is the way I should feel, What helps to resolve that is thinking about home. Look back at Psalm 84. My soul longed, verse 2. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for the joy of the living God. I'm longing to be home. Yesterday, Pastor Kent at Mrs. Coakley's funeral started off by saying, the older I get, the more drawn I feel towards heavenly and the less I feel towards here. Like I feel more, and I know I'm not quoting him exactly, but basically pointing to how in the death of a saint you long for home. You long to be in the courts of the Lord. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It's better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of mirth or parting, because in the house of mourning we are instructed. We're instructed First of all, that life is short, but we're also instructed that home is where God is. And this isn't it. Verse 4. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Guess what? If you're in Christ, that'll be you. Blessed, happy are those who will dwell in your house. This isn't just an hour and 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. 
We're looking beyond towards eternity. They are. They are blessed. They will ever be praising you. That's why I was created. And it's one thing to be told, yes, I should do this. And that's true. You should long for this. You should, you should aspire for this. I know. But when I think that's where home is, it's different. It's not just liturgy. It's not just a duty. It's my destiny. For a day in your courtyards, verse 10, is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day at home with God? If you've been homesick, you know what that day is like. When I think of where God is and where I will be forever, my home, that is where I belong. It's where I belong. Verse 11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In Romans chapter 8, we read, what then shall we say to these things? Verse 31, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not, along with him, freely give us all things? Our greatest obstacle to understanding and appreciating this truth, that home is what is to come, our greatest obstacle is something that we strive so hard for. And that is comfort. Comfort can be our greatest obstacle for really appreciating where home is. Comfort is not bad, but it can become an idol. How do we know when comfort has become an idol? We know when we make a place that isn't home, home. When we work hard at trying to make this be like that. And we're upset and frustrated and angry when it's not. Okay. When I was young, my parents, every once in a while, would go off somewhere. And, um, you know, I like to be able to choose maybe where I was going to sleep over. You know, someone has to, to, to watch me and my brothers. And every once in a while, you know, they would choose someone, they would choose where we'd go. And if you know what that's like, you know, like, you, you know, if you remember when you were young, your parents choose someplace and, and you go there and it probably may not be where you, if it's at a friend's house, awesome, but if it's not, you, know, you walk in and the place smells kind of funny and you know, they, they eat different food than you and if it's the weekend, they better have a TV because we like to watch football and you know, just all of these different things. You know, I have vivid memories of, of a couple places where I went and like the only bright spot was they had a light bright and, and I didn't have one of those at home. You know, turn on the magic of colored lights. You know, I didn't have one and that was so awesome. I had to play with our light bright, but everything else was awful. And so like I think of, of the time and it seemed like an eternity, but eventually my parents came and picked me up, right? For some of you, it's like the college experience. You know, you're in that dorm, and you're just like, oh, it's so great to go home. I don't have to wear flip-flops in the shower. You know, I can just, you know, have, like, normal experience. That wasn't forever, even though it may have felt like a forever. And in a silly but somewhat serious way, 
this, compared to the scope of eternity, might feel like forever. But you have a Savior who has gone to prepare a place for you and is coming again to receive you. It would be odd if while I'm spending the night over at that person's house, if I try to make that as home as possible. That's not my home. I'm there for a time, but I'm going home. Comfort becomes an idol when we try to make this home. We shouldn't be surprised as a result when home, home, we shouldn't be surprised when this not being our home doesn't look like what home should be. And as a result, our culture, our leadership, our comfort are really distorted. Like, if this isn't our home, then why are those things that are such a problem when they go wrong? What is it that we don't understand about the rest of Romans chapter 8 when, when Paul says, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And we're talking, we're reading about how the Christian was not meant to have a life of ease, a life of, of just kind of walking through the primrose path here on earth. And the thing is, it's, it's interesting because like our greatest struggles, but sometimes also our greatest successes can have the same thing in common in that they can actually be a distraction away from home because our attention is not there. This is the point. This is where I think we have the resolution of the dissonance. And that is when I don't long for God, I'm forgetting about home. When I don't believe that God really has given me every good thing. When I don't believe that, it's often because I'm trying to make this home and expecting this to be like that. And that's just not right. My eyes must be pointed there, not here. And for those of you who, as you're listening to this, and you're thinking... This whole home thing, this whole, you know, that'd be nice. Maybe think about it differently. Have you ever felt, like, if you've ever said, if I could only have this, or if I can only do this, then, then things will be okay. And then you achieve it, or then you experience it, and you say, that's all there is? That's all this is? Can I just encourage you to do something? Don't ignore that. Because there's, there's, there's a level of accuracy. There's a level of truth to that. That's part of being made in God, God's image. That, that you get it and you experience it. You're like, that's it? You're right. That's it. It's fallen short. Because you've been created to be somewhere else. You're here. You have a role. This is the beauty of disciple making. This is what brings all of what we do into scope and into focus because of what's to come. This is not the kingdom. And all of my energies to make this a home, if they're not in light of what is to come, then all it's going to do is bring me about frustration and, and or, or have me like lose sight of really what the big picture is. The big picture is being with God. The big picture is worshiping forever. And yes, God has called us to an immediate circumstance. 
But man, if this is where it's at, and that's it, then let's not be surprised if we're kind of ho-hum about longing after God. If we're just kind of feeling apathetic. You know, my car, when I drive somewhere, you know, I use the GPS, I take a wrong turn, the little dial goes, it says recalibrating, right? Recalibrating. We need to recalibrate according to eternity. We need God's word and the whole of God's word and the testimony of the witnesses of God to really look at ourselves and ask, how homesick are we? Let me ask you that question. How homesick are you? Or are you content to make yourself at home right here? And fill in the blank. It could be a lot of good things. But God has created us for something greater. Okay? We don't just coast through here. We don't just, we're, you know, I'm so heavenly minded, I'm no earthly good. That's not what's being said. What is being said is the things that make me the most upset, things that make me so frustrated, you know. Okay. God, I long for you. I long for you. Is that you? Is that you? I pray that as we look at what is to come, as we look at, at these things that are true of God, that it's more than just, yes, you should do this, you should do this, but we understand the perspective of it as well. I trust that this has been helpful um, from the standpoint of just looking at Scripture. I apologize for, for taking a, maybe a bit more time to, to work it out, but, but I do think it's necessary for us to be mindful of, of what it is that is to come. And I think that will energize, I don't think, I know it will energize us for what it is that we're here for. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. I trust that this was clear. I trust that... Um, those of us who know Christ would have that much more fervor to live as disciple makers, knowing that we will see you, that we will be with you. Thank you for the privilege that it is to worship. May we grow in our desire to be with one another to worship, but also knowing that there is a place where we will worship for eternity. This is just a taste and an incomplete taste. But Lord, we thank you for it nonetheless. I pray for those here who really want earth to be their home and frankly are terrified of what is to come. I pray that today, that Christ and his work on the cross, the fact that he freely offers salvation through his payment, that that would resonate in the hearts of those who need to come to Christ. Lord, recalibrate our priorities, our orientation to really love what is to come and to live in light of it. We thank you in Jesus' name.